Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I don't know about you. Everything's new. Everything's light. It's a bit earlier than usual than it has been for the last um, six months. Um, but if you don't know me, my name's John. Um, as you've probably picked up, I'm part of this church family. I'm part of the staff team. Um, and uh, what do you want to know about me, eh? I'm married to Em. I've got two wonderful kids. I grew up in Peterborough. Don't go there anymore. Um, anyway. Thanks, son. Um, today, we're going to talk about salt and light and being salt and light. Um, and, you know, we're in here in a new venue. We're here at a new time of day, although it's like an old time of day, but it's new again. Um, and it's really easy to get swept up in some newness, isn't it? Like, in a time of newness and change, I want to remind us of something that is part of who we are. Hopefully, it's a reminder to you. Maybe it's something new for you today. You know, we're celebrating new time, new venue. It's right that we do that. As Sam said earlier just now, it's right that we give some time and energy into thinking about new team, new structure, new things as a church. Thinking about how we do church and why we do church. But in celebrating and paying attention to what we're doing as the gathered church, into how we're organized and arranged. I don't want us to lose sight of something that's equally important for every single one of us. That each of us is called to go and be light in the world. That each of us is called to go and be the salt of the earth, to be scattered throughout the world. And as Eugene Peterson says in the message, to bring out the God flavors and God colors in the world. So let's jump into some scripture. Matthew 5. Um, verses 13 to 16. Um, You'll hopefully be familiar with much of Matthew 5. We've recently had a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and this is part of it. This is kind of right at the top after Jesus has shared the Beatitudes. He says to the people listening, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So Jesus calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and he gives us a few different metaphors. Um, Interestingly, Jesus also talked about himself as the light of the world. He does that two times in John's Gospel. The first time, it's John chapter 8, is just after he's done this incredible act of forgiveness and compassion. There's this woman who's caught in adultery, and she's brought before him, and the religious leaders say, Jesus, she's caught in adultery. Somehow the man's not in this picture, but anyway, she's caught in adultery, and... We need to stone her. And so Jesus says, all right, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And everyone disappears because they realize they're sinful too. And he says to the woman, kind of go on and sin no more. I don't condemn you either. And then the next thing he, he says, he talks about being the light of the world. It's this incredible act of compassion and kindness and forgiveness 
And Jesus is the light of the world. And then a little while later, Jesus um, prays for this dude that's born blind. And just as he's getting ready to heal this guy, I think um, he's having this chat with him. And then he says, I'm, I'm the light of the world. I've come to bring light to those who can't see. And, so, and then this guy gets healed. He receives his sight for the first time in his life. I think it's really interesting when Jesus talks about being the light of the world. One time, it's this incredible act of compassion and forgiveness. Another time, it's an incredible act of miraculous healing. Just have that in the back of your mind, maybe. But I want to pick up on some of these metaphors that Jesus uses. I want to talk, that, talk about being a city on a hill. And I think when Jesus talks about a city on a hill, we can apply this metaphor to being the gathered church. You see, because the first and most obvious thing to say about a city on a hill is that it doesn't inherently give off light by itself. It's a gathering, a collection of much smaller lights that come together from a distance. It looks like one light, but when you get up close, it's lots of little lights put together. And I think Jesus is talking about that one of the ways that we get to be a light to the world is when we gather together. We can be more than just the sum of our parts. We can collaborate and organize and work together and do things that just aren't possible for us to do on our own. You know, I think the church has achieved some brilliant things over the last 2,000 years of its existence. Now it's innovated in education, in healthcare, in social welfare, when we organize and collaborate, we can shape society. We become the light for others to navigate by. And then sometimes the state catches up. But we wouldn't have schools and universities and hospitals and GPs or a society that looks after those who can't work due to illness or old age. Regardless of how well those systems may be working right now, they wouldn't be there at all if it wasn't for church leading the way. And we feel the lack when we can't be together, don't we? I don't know if you remember two years ago, back in lockdown one, before we knew it was lockdown one, before we were ready to be back together um, at Easter, and then it was the summer, and then it was maybe September, and then it was Christmas, and then before you knew it, it was two years later. We felt the lack of not being together, gathering together is really important. Social contact is massively important. Group singing is really good for your mental health. But there's another reason that gathering together is good. And I think when Jesus is talking about a city on a hill to the crowd, to those first century, first century Israelites, he's thinking about a particular city on a particular hill. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And throughout the Old Testament, Jerusalem and Mount Zion, they've got this interesting story. But partway through the story, Jerusalem becomes the capital city of God's chosen nation, the people of Israel. It's the place that kings of Judah reign from, and it's the place where the temple is built. And I think that's the most significant thing about the location of Jerusalem. It's the location of the temple. And at this point in history, when Jesus is talking, there's been Solomon's temple, it's been grandiose and amazing and wonderful, but then that's been knocked down, that's been flattened. The people have been sent out into exile. They've come back and they've built this second temple. 
Um, that's why um, historians will call the first um, first few centuries before Jesus was born and up to about AD 70, they call that second temple Judaism. And it's a really fascinating point in history because you can't quite draw a line directly between everything that happens in the Old Testament and the world of Jesus in the New Testament. A whole bunch of stuff's different. They've been into exile. They've come back. They've knocked about with a bunch of Greeks. Some of the way they think about the world has changed. Second Temple Judaism, there's a bunch of stuff in the New Testament that you don't find in the Old Testament. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, synagogues, a whole bunch of stuff. But one thing has stayed consistent since the time of David. Mount Zion and the temple there is the center and focus of Judah's worship because it's the place where the temple is. And the temple's important for a number of reasons, but the one that jumps out to me is it's the place that heaven and earth overlap. It's a place that God would come and meet with someone. Psalm 132 says that God has chosen Mount Zion as his dwelling place, a place he intends to rest forever, where he's going to sit enthroned. And very much like that seat on a hill. Us, when we gather, this is a place where heaven and earth overlap, where God makes his dwelling place, where he takes his rightful place on the throne. But you can't keep God in a box. It's not possible to limit him. It's never been his plan to solely exist in a temple made by people. You know, the Bible wants to tell us this a lot of times in a lot of different ways. In the Old Testament, for example, in Ezekiel 47, there's this picture of a river that flows out from the temple and goes all the way out to the sea. And along the way, all the good stuff, the healing, the life, the provision, it all happens miles away from the temple. What the Lord's doing is nothing to do with what's going on there. And in Matthew 27, when Jesus dies, the temple curtain's torn in two because what was hidden away in there is going to come out. And we don't have to stay away. We get to go in as well. In Acts 17, the Apostle Paul's on one of his missionary journeys in the city of Athens. He stands up and he channels Isaiah 66 and he says, God who made the world and everything in it, he doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. He can't be contained. And there's lots of good in the church. Lots of brilliant things happen when we get together. But it's not where it stops. The presence of God doesn't rub off you when you walk through the doors on your way out of here. It's not limited to this space where we are together. You know, all of the church is inside the kingdom, but not all of the kingdom is inside the church. Some of it is carried on the hands and hearts of you and me as we're scattered like salt to go about living life that God has called you to. You know, Jesus is very, very interested in the other 166 hours of your week that you use when you're not here, when you're not at church. I mean, that's assuming you're here every week, which, you know, um, less said about that, the better. But it's not because he's keeping an eye on you in case you mess up. It's not because he wants to catch you out committing some sin, but because he's got good things lined up for you that have nothing to do with the organization of the church. So I think as a gathered church, we're a city on a hill, but as a scattered church, we're like salt and light. Because when salt is used, it's scattered. I went to the seaside yesterday. Went to lovely sort of sunny St Anne's in Lancashire. Uh, we had a great time. 
Um, one of the things we did at the end of the day, me and Em and the kids, we got fish and chips because you buy the sea, you get fish and chips. And when I got my fish and chips, the, the person on the counter put salt and vinegar on it. But what they didn't do was put all the salt at one end, just put a teaspoonful of salt, you know, just there for me to eat at one point, and then I'd get on and crack on and eat the chips. No, they scattered the salt all over the fish and chips. So the salt was distributed, it scattered. Like, that would be disgusting, right? Spoonful of salt, then eat everything else. No, the salt scattered all over. And Jesus gives us this brilliant metaphor in Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth. It's a simple one, it's a relatable one, and there's lots to unpack. But a few things about salt. Salt is valuable. For as long as human beings have been trading, they've been trading salt. You know, the word for salary is derived from the Latin word for salt. It's kind of money to buy salt with, is what it means. You know, salt preserves before fridges and freezers that we've only had for the last century or so. Salt was used to preserve meat. It kept things from going off by drawing out the moisture. So salt, uh, food lasted longer when it was salted. Salt brings out flavour. Salt is one of the five basic flavours that your tongue can pick up. But when you use it in cooking, the best thing about salt is not that it tastes salty, it makes everything else taste better. That's not just because stuff tastes better when it's salty, but on like a molecular level. If you salt a bit of meat, it opens up the protein spirals so then you can taste them more. It does a whole bunch of stuff when you add it at different points of the cooking process. It's not just about making food taste salty. It actually enhances and changes the nature of the food that you apply it to. Salt doesn't just, just taste great, but everything tastes better with salt, especially fish and chips. But the message says, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out those God flavors of the earth. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. So salt has to be scattered to work. You can't just put it in a pile, keep it in a box. And we're not called to hide, we're called to show up in all the places that we're sent. Dark places need light, unflavored places need salt. The world needs you to be salt and light in the places that you're sent. Um, if, like me, you grew up in the 90s, apparently I'm a geriatric millennial. I don't mind being millennial, but the geriatric bit, not so keen on. But I grew up in the 90s. Christian culture in the 90s was a wild one. Um, basically, being in a youth group, we, we kind of replicated everything that happened out in the world in our own little way. You know, we had our Christian equivalents of everything. Like, you can't listen to Nirvana, but you can listen to DC Talk. Um, I wasn't worried about being a Jesus freak until DC Talks sang about it, but that's another matter. Like, you know, we could buy Christian t-shirts that said, Jesus Christ, he's the real thing, but like with a Coca-Cola logo. But I don't think God's really interested in us having a little Christian bubble and replicating culture and just doing our own version of it. I think God's far more interested in us impacting and redeeming and transforming culture by going and being a part of it. We don't want to lose our saltiness. We don't want to hide our light. Again, Jesus says, if salt should lose its taste, how could it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Though I think that's a little bit ironic because that was before the era of the council gritter and we would put salt on the road and trampled under people's feet and it was actually quite useful. So keep that out of your mind. 
But he clears it up again. He says, no one puts a lamp, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And what are those good works that Jesus is talking about? We'll read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> He's just been talking about the Beatitudes. This teaching comes in the middle of Jesus talking about what it looks like to live in his kingdom. And what it looks like to live in community with others and with Jesus. But I think Jesus is inviting us to live out who we are as salt and light wherever we find ourselves in the world. Now the thing about salt is it's not particularly spectacular. Salt and light are two very common things. They're really important, but they're really common. They're everywhere. We want salt and light in everything that we do. You know, we don't have to be doing something spectacular to change the world. You don't have to be a president, a prime minister, or a Premier League footballer. You don't have to be an award winner or a record holder to be salt and light. The kingdom of God is carried by ordinary people doing ordinary things with the spirit of God living inside of them. You know, Colossians tells us that Jesus is the one who's holding everything together. Psalm 139 tells us there's not a place that we can go from the spirit of God and the presence of God. So why would we assume that some places are for us to show up as a Christian and other places are for us to show up and be secular? To put our God in a box inside of us to bury it down. And God isn't only interested in the kings and the queens and the celebrities and the archbishops. He's interested in all of us, in all of our lives. The mundane parts too. Now I think it's funny. God created a universe that is mostly full of nothing. The universe is massive. And there's hardly anything in it. Like even the things we think of as solids... On an atomic level, there's just a lot of space in between it all. Like God is really not bothered by life being mundane. He loves it. God wants to show up when you're making toast in the morning. He wants to be with you when you're doing the shopping. He wants to be with you when you're filing your taxes. He wants to be with you whatever your job is. If it's exciting, if you find your job fulfilling and wonderful and what you've always dreamed or if your job is none of those things, Jesus wants to go there with you. Jesus wants to be with you and fill you with his Holy Spirit and for you to be salt and light, whether you work for a church in that Christian space, whether you do something that is completely nothing to do with the church. Jesus wants you to let your light shine before men so that everyone might see your good deeds. Give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine whatever you do. There's no hierarchy in this church family of those who somehow are more full of salt and light and those that aren't. Whatever it is, maybe it's not even a, maybe you don't even have a job or maybe your job is not one that you're paid for. Like being a parent or like that's the thing that takes up your time or caring for someone, that's the thing that takes up your time. 
Or maybe you're not working right now and you would like to, but you can't for whatever reason. You're still salt and light in the places that God sends you. And so as we close out this time together, as we celebrate being together again as a gathered church, let's celebrate being the scattered church together. And I want us to commission one another to be salt and light in the world. So we're going to do this little activation for you. I want you to find two or three people around you. It's going to be loads more fun if you don't know them already. little challenge there for you. I want you to share where it is that you show up in the world. It might be a job. It might be that you, your job isn't the main thing you do. You might not have a job. You might be studying. You might be full-time parenting. Any of those things. Or just where it is that you know that you are significant in the world right now. And I want you to commission one another to be salt and light in those places. I want you to pray for one another and say, say you with Katie here, say, Katie, I commission you to be salt and light in the places that you show up. That's all you have to do. That's all commissioning is. And say, Father, would you come by your Holy Spirit? Would you fill my friend? And would you send them out this week to go and be salt and to be light? So can we do that? Yeah. Great. So we'll put some little bit of background music on. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless, and see you soon.